When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and we move into December week 13 in the books. Another predictably unpredictable Sunday in the NFL. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. As usual, we will take you through our Sunday six, the six biggest storylines coming out of a busy day of NFL football Upsets were scored, milestones were crossed, some punts were blocked. We had a little bit of everything, but you know exactly where we have to start the show this week. That would be no other place than Philadelphia. It was billed as a clash of titans. It's kind of been a theme this season. The big-time build-ups, the big games of the season, a little bit one-sided, and that was the case again in Week 13. The San Francisco 49ers go to the link and score a statement win against the Philadelphia Eagles, 42 to 19 in their own house. The Niners travel across the country, score a huge win. Who better to lead the show off talking about it than the guys who called the game? I'm joined now by Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. All right, y'all, look, I mean, a win by any margin would have been impressive for the 49ers in this environment, right? So to go on the road and win by 23 like that, I mean... This, this has to be the team to beat in the entire league at this point. Am I right? Yeah, well, I think they are. I think we were waiting to see what happened today to kind of make that determination. Look, we all know the 49ers are a great team. I, I think we were waiting to see what would happen today to see if our opinion changed. I think that opinion got stronger, didn't it? Yeah, I think you can make the argument based on the quality of opponent. The two most impressive wins of the entire year are San Francisco weeks back against Dallas, yeah. and then San Francisco today against Philly. I mean, two of the top teams in the entire league, not only the NFC, they just blow them out. Yeah, it took them apart. I mean, it's hard to say right now that this 49ers aren't the best team in the entire NFL, let alone the NFC. I heard you all mention this at the end of the broadcast. You know, it took them a minute to get going, and then six straight touchdowns from the Niners offense. I mean, we, we know they're good, but the way that they were able to just lean on this Eagles defense, I mean – Is there a way that you can slow these guys down when they're clicking the way they were? Yeah, Greg, you answer that because I have no idea. I'll tell you, well, Philly didn't today. They they didn't have the answer. And listen, we we talked coming in. Philly's got to fix their defense problem. They have a defensive problem, not just now defending the pass like Mm -hmm. it's been coming in. But these last couple weeks, their inability to defend against the run without the ability to play with the lead. I think that's kind of unmasking their run game kind of deficiency a little bit. But... I think to score 42 points in the NFL is impressive. To score 42 points in the NFL by just having six straight offensive touchdown drives, right? No fluke plays, no pick sixes, no, is just an it's just a dominating performance from the most efficient offense in the NFL all and, season. And to your point, the Eagles defense has allowed a thousand yards the last two weeks. Yeah, that's, they, they got to figure it out. Yeah, that, that's not going to cut it. Right? Jalen Hurts is great. Jalen Hurts is. 
clutch. He brings it. Yeah. But you got to play defense at some point. I think right now that's what Sean Desai and Nick Sirianni, I think they're going to have to figure that out as they get into the rest of this stretch to finish the regular season. You got to love this league because as hyped as we were for this one, y'all get to turn around and see Niners Seahawks and obviously a big one for the Eagles in Dallas. I can't wait. Guys, as always, thank you for the time. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Honestly, what can I tell you that the box score doesn't? You know, we always say watch the games. The stats can lie. Not in a case like this. Greg noted it between this beatdown and the blowout win against Dallas. I think the 49ers have the best resume in football right now. That doesn't even include an easy win against Jacksonville, mind you. If you throw that in, San Francisco has now played three teams with eight or more wins. Dallas, Philly, Jacksonville. They've beaten those three teams by an average score of 39 to 11. So not just playing well against the good teams, dominating them. This is a juggernaut of a team. And honestly, to the, we're at the point now where I think you can safely say the only thing slowing them down are their own injuries. They lose Trent Williams for a little while. They lose Debo Samuel. Three-game losing streak. Sky's falling. Everybody gets back. Suddenly, they are still the most dominant team in the NFL. And the only question I really have is, who do you, who do you want to kill you? Who do you want to be the reason why you lost to the 49ers? At this point, it's the only question you can ask. The engine of the offense is and will be Christian McCaffrey. He's going to open the field up for everyone else. Best running back in the NFL. Best dual threat running back in the NFL. 90 yards rushing, 40 yards receiving, and it feels like a quiet day. But then after that, everything builds off of it. Take your pick. You have two wide receivers who could be a number one option on almost any other team. Debo, Brandon Ayuk. They've got a top three NFL tight end, George Kittle. Who do you want to kill you? So many times this season, the answer's been Brandon Ayuk. Most overlooked guy of the group heading into 2023. We all know Debo's been the guy. Debo's got the big contract. George Kittle's been doing his thing forever. Ayuk gets the benefit of that attention. He's on pace for a 1,300-yard season. And then Sunday, we get a little bit of a reminder about the guy they call Debo Samuel. I saw But before the game, the highlight comes out of Debo warming up with black Air Force Ones on. Everybody should have known it was over at that point. It's been a little bit under the radar this year. A little bit bit of that is because of the injury. And again, a little bit of that is because opponents are going to game plan to try to take him away. It's only got four touchdowns on the season coming into Sunday. In Philly, having just trash-talked the Eagles all week long, he scores three in an afternoon of work. Four catches for 116 yards and two touchdowns. Three more carries for 22 yards and another. I think he's the best run-after-catch player in the NFL. Watch these plays. He's catching, you know, 8, 10, 12-yard passes over the middle and simply ripping through the secondary. Just a yak monster. Not to discredit Brock Purdy. The numbers are incredible. But the stuff this guy does after the catch is absolutely amazing. And the crazy thing is, The Niners can win easily when he's the third or fourth guy. We've seen them beat people down with Debo being quiet with George Kittle or Brandon Ayuk, whoever it is, taking the attention away. But when he's the first guy and he gets to do his thing, it looks absolutely impressive as Debo himself told Aaron Andrews right after the game. All right, guys, I don't need to remind you in the first quarter, I think it was minus six total yards. And then second quarter, it just hit. And did it ever. I'll ask you, Debo, why? Why'd you guys get in a rhythm? 
Um, we got we kind of came out slow. Um, you know, we had to get settled in and just do what we do. We had to start off running the ball and then everything else started clicking. Yeah, and it clicked, and you had a lot to say about this guy. What, 314 yards, four touchdowns. What is it about him? And you know what a game this was for him coming back. Hey, my man is a humble beast. You know yes. he don't talk about himself too much, but you know I do it. I 314 it. yards, four touchdowns. My man had a day. A day. And let's talk about the third quarter, can we, guys? There were fireworks, to say the least. Drake Greenlaw gets ejected. Their head of security gets ejected. You guys come out on the field, and you had a 48-yard touchdown. That was unbelievable, by the way. What was said, you know, to kind of keep the composure? Man, I mean, when you're in a hostile environment like this, something like that happens where Dre gets ejected and then they get momentum. Uh, for us on offense, we're like, man, if we just keep scoring, you know, we're already ahead. So um, foot on the gas pedal and we got we got Dre's back. Last one, guys. We know the storylines coming into this one. We know that you said it was just any other game. We know the talking that was going on beforehand. What does this win mean for this group and the way you did it? Um, it means a lot to this group. You know, um, one thing that we fighting for is the first week by in the playoffs, and, you know, we're going to keep striving to do that. Number one seed, very much alive, Brock. Yeah, I mean, we just got to take it one week at a time. Yeah. So this was a big win for us. We we're celebrating it for the plane ride back and on to the next. See you guys next week. Appreciate y'all. Shout out to Brock Purdy for absolutely not wanting to talk about the number one seed still being in play, but it is. Shout out to Debo Samuel for pointing out that they did all of that in three quarters, minus six yards of offense in the first quarter, ripped off 450 the rest of the way. This is a terrifying team. Barely even talked about a defense that sacked Jalen Hurts three times, forced three Eagles punts in four possessions in the middle of the game, let the offense completely put the pedal down and take control. I, I, I don't know. I don't know who beats these guys. Obviously, it can happen. They've lost three this season. But when they are firing on all cylinders and everybody's healthy, there just clearly isn't a better team in the NFL. So that's the Niners half of this thing. But this was the game of the century of the week. Philadelphia Eagles did enter this game with the best record in football, not to mention the longest winning streak. And now, just like that, they're left scratching their head, looking for answers. Sure, people in Philadelphia a little bit more concerned than that. You heard the Boo Birds at the link, classic Philadelphia. This was a game that, that deserved a close look on both sides of the ball. So to take a look at the Eagles side of this, I brought in our good buddy, NFC East writer Ralph Vacchiano to talk Eagles and where they go from here. All right, Ralph, let's start with, I mean, what I thought was the most drastic change in this game. The Eagles defense came out in the beginning of this thing breathing fire. You know, the 49ers had negative six yards in the first quarter. It looks like it's going to be a defensive struggle. And then San Francisco just rolls to almost 500 yards of offense. I mean, what changed so drastically where the Eagles defense just couldn't put up much of a fight? I, I wish I had a, a good answer for you on that. I think that the first two series were not really the Eagles defense, at least not the defense that we've seen over the last month or so. Um, you know, that defense had was they got pressure on those first two drives. Granted, it was only six plays, but you know, they weren't giving them any lanes to run. They were the coverage was tight. They were doing everything absolutely perfectly. But if you look back over this last month for the Eagles, with maybe the exception of the second half against the Chiefs, this defense has been shredded. I mean, the Buffalo Bills tore them apart. The the Cowboys uh, really ripped through them. The Washington Commanders had a lot of success with them. The Chiefs, obviously, um, you know, for the first half, really had no trouble, uh, you know, moving the ball against them. This is a defense that just has a lot of trouble tackling. They've got questions at linebacker, questions at safety. 
So if you can somehow neutralize that defensive line, this is the result you get. Uh, you know, they got away with it against some bad teams and some banged up teams. But when you get a healthy 49ers team with the weapons they have, you know, th- this Eagles defense, the way it's playing, had no shot. As we're recording this, we don't know what's going to happen with Shaq Leonard. Maybe the Eagles can get some help there moving forward. But even if they do, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily feel like enough to me. I mean, well, we can get to the offense in a minute, but priority number one for the Eagles has to be doing something to maybe look. You might not turn them into the unit they were last year, but but this isn't going to cut it against the best teams they're going to go up against. No, no question. Uh, you know, the unit they were last year, and it's a lot of the same players. I mean, they lost Javon Hargrave up front, but they did replace him with a pretty good guy in, in rookie Jalen Carter. Um, you know, most of the rest of the, the unit is still there. And that, that you know, last year got 70 sacks. It was a relentless pressure that they're just not getting, um, especially against the better teams. And last year, we also saw that this the second level of the Eagles had a lot of trouble making tackles in the open field. And it really, it hurt them in a lot of their games. Again, they were so good, they were able to cover it up sometimes. But against the better teams now, uh, you're seeing that, you know, these teams can find ways to get through them. I mean, how many times did the, did the 49ers have a big play where it looked their safety or Nick Morrow, the linebacker, had a guy dead to rights and somehow let him up and let him go? We saw less last season, but again, they were better. They could cover it up better. They just can't do that this year. Over on the other side of the ball, it's, I mean, it's a huge sigh of relief for the Eagles that Jalen Hurts returned to this game. He left for a little while. He comes back. I hate to sound like an alarmist, but between the knee injury and now this, I mean, do you get worried about Jalen Hurts' durability this season, just with the various scares and bumps and bruises that he's had to deal with? Yeah, you know, I always worry about that with a, a quarterback who likes to run as much as he does. Um, you know, he really, he, he'll slide most of the time, but he has no problem throwing his body, um, you know, forward to get extra yards or so. Uh, that wasn't the case when he left with the, uh, you know, to get checked by the the concussion spotter. Um, but obviously he's been hit in the knee a few times. And, uh, you know, you do wonder how banged up is he really? Now he's still through for almost 300 yards. He wasn't running very effectively in this game, but you know, you need a healthy Jalen Hurts to make this offense go. Marcus Mariota is not going to cut it at all. Um, you need Hurts to be the kind of dual threat player uh, that he's always been to really make this offense go. Cause when he's a running threat, it changes a lot about what they can do. He was not a running threat in this game. And obviously once they fell so far behind, it was really irrelevant. He had to throw, but um, so yeah, I, I do worry about Jalen Hurts. I think, you know, he's the um, you know, an MVP candidate in the league is the most valuable player on the four, on the, the Eagles to be sure. And they won't go very far without him. So you're right. Obviously the, the Niners got out in front and that's going to take away your, your run game. I get that you played the situation at hand, but even still when this game was, was still in the balance and I, I know the Eagles, they have a fantastic receiver duo. I know they can throw the ball all over the yard, but it did feel like they kind of forgot about their running game, even when, when this game was still within their reach. I mean, is that is that an oversight? Is that just the strength of the San Francisco defense? I thought that was a little bit surprising. I thought it surprising, too, and I'm assuming it was a choice by them that they thought, well, you know, this front line of San Francisco is so good, we're going to have better luck throwing the ball. And, you know, they did throw the ball pretty well early in the game. So I'm sure they wanted to do more of that. Um, you know, if, if it was a 
to me, when, when the, the Eagles sometimes games start to get out of hand, they're better off relying on that running game. And they do. It can be very powerful. They can just drain opposing defenses. And I guess they thought they couldn't do that to San Francisco. Um, but it is, it's hard with them. They have so many things on offense that they do well. They sometimes will come out throwing like crazy. They'll sometimes come out running like crazy. They're not often very well balanced because whatever they're doing well, they just kind of stick to it. Uh, and I, in this case, I think that there was probably a point in the game where they did need to rely on that a little bit to try to settle things down. And, and you know, before they even had a chance, the game was out of reach. It's funny how quickly things turn. Obviously, the Eagles, they've already gotten the best of the Cowboys once this season. But now you look at it, the Cowboys are hot on their heels. They get the weekend off after playing on Thursday. What do you think the, I guess, for lack of a better word, the vibes are going to be in Philadelphia knowing that, I mean, they are going down to Dallas with the Cowboys having a chance to tie their record. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you think the mood is going to be in Philly as they seek to, to move past this one? Ugly. It's going to be very, very ugly, I think, in Philadelphia, in the city of Philadelphia, in the locker room. Um, you know, I think they might feel like, OK, well, they've had a hard stretch. Um, you know, they they played the Bills, they played the Chiefs, they played the Cowboys and, the, and now the 49ers. And they still came out of that three and one. So I think they're going to feel confident that they can turn it around. But around them, there's going to be a big groundswell of panic because, you know, there's been a lot of boos in Philadelphia for this team over the last few weeks. There's a lot of concern now about that defense. And you're going against, uh, you know, the Cowboys right now. I don't know if there's a team in football playing offense better than they are or a quarterback playing better than Dak Prescott. And you got an Eagles defense that has just been, you know, torn to shreds for, for four weeks in a row now. And, uh, you know, almost a thousand yards of offense the last two weeks alone. And they're still, the Cowboys are going to be better than both of the offenses they just faced. So, um, you know, I'm sure they'll focus on that. I'm sure they're going to still feel confident. They're a team that has been really good about staying even keeled. Um, but I don't know that they've ever in the last two years been in a situation like this. They're, their crisis last year was when Jalen Hurts was hurt for a couple of games. They've never had a, a full-strength game that was this big a disaster against a team that they're probably going to have to face in order to get back to the Super Bowl. It's kind of funny to think about it. You know, we, we did this we did this a month and a half ago with the Cowboys. The 49ers did the same thing to them, and now I guess it's, it's a challenge of, of maintaining your confidence after such a disappointing result. I do think you make a really good point, though. I mean – I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you could have told Nick Sirianni a month ago that if you go against Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, and now San Francisco, you come out of that stretch three and one, I think you would take that every single time. But how do yeah. you, what, what do you think they, I guess, lean on to find that confidence coming out of this that, you know, maybe the sky isn't falling, even if everybody says it is? Well, you know, the blueprints of the Cowboys, right? I mean, they did it. They're, the sky was falling on them when they lost, what was it, 42 to 10? out in San Francisco. This is a little worse because it's later in the season. Um, it's also at home in Philadelphia. So all the reasons why they should have, uh, you know, had a better result in this game. But um, I think, again, the leadership of Sirianni and Jalen Hurts, this team has just managed to stay so even keel. I'm sure that they will point out the bad things, how they, they lost their cool a little bit, how bad the defense played and realize that for most of this season, they have been much, much better than that as a team and that they're still good. I mean, they're still capable of beating the 49ers and Cowboys. Um, they just need to sort of get things back together. And the good teams are usually able to do that. And look, again, look at the run that the Cowboys have been on 
since that 49ers game. I'm sure the Eagles look at it and think, okay, well, we lost one. We still have a one game lead. You know, we win the division probably if we go down to Dallas and win this game. So they'll try to get their stuff together and do that. Uh, you know, it's, it, they know it's a mood swing league and they beat the Cowboys. Everybody will be right back on their bandwagon and they'll be feeling good again. I was going to say it, it's a, it's a six day league, right? I mean, Cowboys and Eagles play for the division lead a week from now. And yeah, I think whoever wins it's, it's going to be quite a lift for them, but certainly the Eagles with you look, you know, you look in the big picture at what's ahead of them, a win in Dallas just might take care of the NFC East. So I wouldn't panic too much just yet. Ralph, as always, so plugged in on the Eagles and the NFC East, man, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Anytime. Moving on to item number two on our Sunday six, and that is a division that isn't getting its just due. That would be the AFC South. We've talked so much this year about the mighty AFC North. Three teams over 500. They're so impressive. AFC South right there with them after another exciting Sunday. Nowhere was the excitement more palpable than Houston, where, of course, the the cardiac upstart Houston Texans snap the longest winning streak in the NFL. They beat the Denver Broncos by a score of 22 to 17. Do you realize Houston's last count them eight games have come by one score. They've won five of them, despite being young team, young quarterback, don't know how to win. Nobody's the vibes are bad in Houston. Here they are improving to seven and five second in the AFC South after holding off Russell Wilson and the Broncos, as has been our theme here. We're going to bring in our guy, AFC South writer, Ben Arthur, to talk about the whole thing. Talk about a phenomenal performance from the young Houston defense. Not only that though, another team that's worth mentioning in the AFC South, the Indianapolis Colts also getting a big win on Sunday. Had a chance to chat to Ben about both. All right, Ben, let's switch it up a little bit. Usually when I talk to you, we're leading with CJ Stroud. We can get to him, but let's talk about this Houston defense on Sunday, really flexing their muscles. They pick off Russell Wilson three times in their last four possessions. They win the game at the very end in the end zone. What can we say about these young guys kind of coming into their own? Yeah, I think it's really positive uh, for these Texans because we know what they're capable of on offense with CJ having a quarterback of that caliber to really keep you in games, to win you games. We've seen him do that a number of times, but I think recently we've really seen this defense starting to to stack some games. I mean, today, as you mentioned, uh, Russell Wilson picked off three times. I think the part I love about that the most from the Texans perspective is that Derek Stingley had two of them. He was their number three overall pick uh, last year, um, a, a guy who you expect for, from the Texans perspective long term to be your kind of your number one shutdown corner. And he, he's starting starting to show that he, he missed a lot of time this season with a with a hamstring injury. He missed a lot of time last year as a rookie kind of kind of the knock on him coming into the league was maybe that injury history. But as long as he's on the field, I think we're starting to see him uh, starting to uh, to make those positive strides. And he's up to four picks on the year. And then your other defensive, like really highly touted uh, draft pick and Will Anderson, he had two sacks today, nearly had a uh, I think it was a blocked punt as well. Um, I think we're starting to see. Uh, this defense really starting to figure it out. And, and I think when you have your two high draft picks in the last couple years, 
to to kind of help lead the charge in, in that regard. Uh, I think that bodes really well for this team moving forward because we know as we continue to get later in the season, as the playoff race tightens up, uh, it's not always going to – the Texans aren't always going to be able to win with offense, right? It's not always going to be pretty. You're going to have to win these grimy, gritty games, and and I think these Texans are starting to show that more as the season is worn on. It's good timing for the defense to show up now. Unfortunately, look, they already lost Titus Howard earlier to to the knee injury, and then uh, just a real depressing news item that Tank Dell out with a fractured leg. Looks like he's going to be done for the rest of the season. We know Nico Collins is is a stud, but without Tank, I mean, how are we feeling about the Texans' offense moving forward? It's just one less guy for C.J. Stroud to work with. Obviously, still several options there, but... Uh, just a, a bummer of a blow for a Texans offense that has been so much fun this season. Yeah, it's it's going to hurt. I mean, no no doubt about it, how spectacular he's been. And I know we've talked about this, Dave, just the connection that he has with CJ. Like, they just seem to be on a different frequency in, in terms of the chemistry and, like, the extended play, scramble drills type situation. So it, it's a blow to that core, but, but I, I think – if you're if you're the Texans, you still have to feel uh, optimistic about kind of what you have. Uh, Nico Collins has been really, really awesome this year. He had 190 receiving yards today. Uh, we saw what Noah Brown did before he got hurt. Like he just came back from from injury in this Broncos game. But before that, he had uh, over 320 receiving yards in a two game span. Uh, Robert Woods. uh maybe isn't the player he used to be, but, but I, I think you could still get some stuff out of him. And then uh, maybe some, some of the younger guys could step up. I mean, John Mechie is, is a guy, a former second round pick uh, who, who could have some more opportunity. He's done really well as like a blocking wide receiver type, but, but he could get involved more in Xavier Hutchison. Uh, another one of the rookie wide receivers who's made a, a big play here and there, he's going to get more opportunities too. So Again, like losing Tank is really going to hurt, but I think just because of the caliber of a quarterback you have and what we've seen some of these other pass catchers do, in particular, Nico Collins and Noah Brown, if you're Houston, I, I don't think you should lose confidence with losing Dell for the, for the year. Okay, I can hear the Colts fans yelling at me right now because Houston – is not currently a playoff team. That would be Indianapolis, who are now, they're not just over 500. They beat the Titans and they're two games over 500. Can you just get, get, for starters, like, let's just talk about how are they doing this? It's the special teams for me that showed up against the Titans on Sunday. What, what was the Colts recipe to getting this goofy overtime win? Yeah, I, I think it's it really kind of starts with resilience. And and I know that can be kind of like a buzzword, like in terms of NFL teams and whatnot. But but this team like truly embodies resilience. Like they have every reason to kind of be a bad team, right? Like Jonathan Taylor has missed now five games and counting. He missed the four to start the year, missed this uh, game against Tennessee with a thumb injury, and he's probably going to be out for a couple more. Anthony Richardson, as we know, is out for the year. Grover Stewart, who's probably their top run stuffer at, at the nose tackle spot, uh, he's been serving a, a six-game suspension. Uh, 
they've had cornerbacks in and out. The cornerback spot has been an issue for them. And then Gardner Minshew, who's replaced Anthony Richardson, has kind of had had this roller coaster of a time as QB1 for, for Indy. But uh, this team just finds a way to win games. Uh, that they've that they won in overtime today. They won in overtime at Baltimore, and we know that that they're a, a contender for for the uh, AFC's number one overall seed. Uh, I think that they have like this propensity, like for like big splash plays, like in big moments. I, I think it's shown up mostly defensively, like in terms of sacks and takeaways. They're on a four-game winning streak now, but in that winning streak, they have 21 sacks. Uh, and so, which is insane. And then the takeaways are up there as well. Uh, if you remember Kenny Moore a couple weeks ago against Carolina, he had two pick sixes. And so this is a team that's able to create these splash plays at just the right time. Uh, but but this is a team that finishes games. Uh, it, they may not necessarily have the, the best uh, roster on paper, and, and then you you have the quarterback concerns as well. But between, I think this defensive front in particular, with, with what they've been able to do, uh, especially against the pass, and then in the run game, and and then they have some really good receivers. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce both went over 100 yards today. Josh Downs. Uh, we talk so much about Puka Nakua and Tank Dell. Uh, who's now out for the year. I mean, th- those were, were like the two top rookie receivers, but right after them, Josh Downs is right there. And so uh, I, I think you're, if you're a Colts fan, uh, especially in this kind of a, a wide open AFC uh, this year, uh, it, it more so like in the middle of the pack, uh, you, you have to feel good uh, about your chances uh, in the seventh spot right now, as you said, um, but but yeah, this team just finds out, uh, f- figures out a way to win games. It, it doesn't always look pretty, but but I think we have to give a lot of credit to what Shane Steichen has be- been able to do uh, with this team in year one. I mean, this was a team uh, that was maybe th- the opposite in, in some regards last year, just because of all the the chaos. And you know, by the end of the year, guys were checked out. But but it's a, a complete like 180 this year just with what they've been able to do four game winning streak now seven and five and and the world in front of them so um so yeah we we don't talk about them enough nationally but but i think the colts deserve a lot of credit for what they've done in spite of all the issues they've had well get ready my friend because i mean i know you can you can get in trouble looking too far ahead in the nfl but what there's there's five games six games left on the no five games left on the colts schedule and they could win every single one of them. And I'm not saying they will, but they're absolutely in the mix to win all the games left on their schedule. If they get to a winning record, a conversation needs to be had about Shane Steichen as the NFL's coach of the year. We can get to that as we go. But Ben, as usual, man, I appreciate the time so much. I hope you have a great week. Thank you, Dave. You too. As long as I'm the one that's brought it up, let's just continue the conversation about Colts head coach Shane Steichen. Item number three on our Sunday six. It's our weekly coaching spotlight. We like to every week highlight a moment, a performance, a decision that highlights coaching. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. They are the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach to coach communications and full transparency. Take you behind the curtain. Talk to Ben about Shane Steichen, about the Colts. 
sat back and thought about it and thought to myself, yeah, yeah, this is what we need to highlight here in week 13. Denver and Philadelphia go down on Sunday, and all of a sudden, the Indianapolis Colts are now tied for the longest win streak in the NFL. They got four of them in a row. They share that distinction with San Francisco and Dallas. Now, what's the obvious difference there? The 49ers and the Cowboys entered the season with very obvious Super Bowl aspirations. It's a very Super Bowl or bust type of season in both of those cities. The Colts entered off of a 4-12-1 season with a new head coach, Shane Steichen, and a rookie quarterback. If the expectations weren't low enough, they lost their number four overall pick, Anthony Richardson, to a shoulder injury almost two months ago at this point. Here we are in December, two games over 500. The New York Times, their their playoff model predictor, gives them a 67% chance to make the playoffs. At this rate, with six or five games left, excuse me, schedule looks about as forgiving as possible for an AFC team, in my opinion. I don't know if they have the narrative power to pull this off because that does matter. I think it would be naive to assume otherwise. You know, the the guys that typically win these awards have an amazing record, 12, 13, 14 wins, or as the case is with D'Amico Ryans in Houston, you've got a hot shot quarterback like CJ Stroud taking the league by storm. Regardless, Shane Steichen deserves to be mentioned in this conversation for NFL coach of the year. As Ben said earlier, this team just find ways to win. They lost Anthony Richardson back at the beginning of October. Gardner Minshew, clearly he's doing a good enough job to, to help them. He hasn't been amazing. He has not carried this team the way we've seen from a guy like Stroud. But they find ways to do it. They get it done. This week, I think you have to make sure you shout out special teams coordinator Brian Mason. His unit blocked two punts directly contributed to 10 points in a game that they won by three in overtime against the Titans. As we talked about, it's not sexy. It's not going to lead sports center or any of those other types of shows. Because again, CJ Stroud is, is doing it in very obvious fashion. Number two, overall pick 300 yards every other week. Indianapolis is just a, a well-coached football team that has risen from 4-12-1 and one to being right in the mix. Their next two games, also against teams starting backup quarterbacks. Cincinnati has lost Joe Burrow for the year. Pittsburgh, unfortunately, Kenny Pickett gets hurt Sunday against Arizona. Two teams that don't have their starters either. It's very, very re- realistic to think the Colts could finish this season with a winning record. I don't know where it goes from there. The AFC is terrifying with all of the heavyweights that you have to navigate not trying to tell you to, to believe in Indianapolis as a contender, but it is an accomplishment that they're in this position in the first place. And when you look around at, at what they're doing on their roster, the young players getting opportunities, losing their quarterback that early in the season, it's clearly dependent on the job that Shane Steichen and his coaching staff are doing that they are in this situation. I think it's incredibly impressive. I think it's worth spotlighting. That's what I'm doing. Shane Steichen. Put him in the coach of the year conversation at the very least. The Colts deserve that much. Item number four on our Sunday six focuses on the muddy NFC wildcard picture, but in particular, two teams that have climbed out of their grave to join the playoff hunt. That would be the Green Bay Packers and the LA Rams. And in order to fully appreciate 
where the Packers and Rams are here on December 4th. I want to go back to November 5th. That was the date of arguably the most forgettable game of this NFL season. I remember it well. Rainy day at Lambeau Field. The Packers dispatched the Rams by a score of 20 to 3. LA started Brett Rippin because Matthew Stafford had gotten hurt the week prior during a blowout loss to Dallas. The Packers won, but it broke a four-game losing streak. They're well under 500. Their offense comes up with a different way to make a mistake every other series. It looked like a footnote in two seasons that were going in equally bad directions. Just uh, an awful game played by what looked like two teams we didn't need to worry about. Quoting Wayne's World right there. Let's take it back to the present. Both teams are 6-6. Six and six. They are now right in the thick of it. Let's start with the Green Bay Packers with a a statement win, we'll call it, Sunday night at Lambeau Field. They hold off a last-minute rally by the Kansas City Chiefs, and all of a sudden, there are the Packers having won three straight, and and we're not not sneaking by against bad teams. Two of those three have come against division leaders. They beat the Lions on Thanksgiving. They beat mighty Patrick Mahomes 10 days later. It is worth noting. Let's get it out of the way at the top. We could spend 10 minutes talking about the awful officiating at the end of this game, whether it's the bad call on Patrick Mahomes roughing the passer, whether it's the makeup no call on DPI a few minutes later, could even get into the clock running error with Marquez Valdez Scantling's catch on the sideline and another potential DPI in the end zone at the end of the game. It was about as bad of a sequence as I've seen this season. Having said that, it doesn't detract from the fact that Green Bay outplayed the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night. And Jordan Love is suddenly one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL. Since week 10, the guy's averaging 286 passing yards per game. That's top five in the NFL. His 10 passing touchdowns over that stretch trail only Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy. The guy's keeping damn good company. And more impressive than the raw numbers was the way Love kept rising to the moment. Patrick Mahomes is on the other sideline, and, and we are definitely at the point. Patrick Mahomes has to have a psychological effect on the teams he's playing. You know every mistake can be magnified by the guy that's going to get the ball after you. And it looked like that was happening. Patrick Mahomes drove the Chiefs to a touchdown to open the second half, cutting the score to 14-12. to 12. Green Bay very firmly in control in the first half. All of a sudden, it's a two-point game. You can feel it. You can feel yourself saying, here come the Chiefs. It's completely understandable if you thought that was going to be the start of the rally. Instead, Jordan Love immediately answers, guiding the Packers on his own touchdown drive, 67 yards. The highlight, the 33-yard conversion on fourth and one to Romeo Dobbs just drops it in a bucket. Just... And I'm not exaggerating because, look, the broadcast said this too, so don't blame me, but looking very Rodgers-esque, the way that he's making trick shots, falling backward, changing his arm angle to avoid pressure. It's the best play of his young career, specifically the the fourth and one throw to Romeo Dobbs. It's got to feel gratifying. The guy is growing up right in front of our eyes. He led two clutch scoring drives in the second half. Chiefs, or excuse me, Packers defense. Yeah, again, the the last drive, very, very bungled, but the Packers have to feel 
so gratified that this young team is continuing to grow. I mentioned it. They were making mistakes every other possession in the first two months of the season. And they're still going to make mistakes. There's too many young players on this team to think that they're going to play clean the rest of the way through. But you see the progress every single week. And they have grown into a formidable football team right in front of us. Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers. You can beat those teams and beat them I don't want to say convincingly, but look like the clearly better team in the process that says something. And, and the way that it's been linear as well, going back a month to that Rams win from there, it's been slowly building. You make too many mistakes against Pittsburgh. You clean that up slightly against LA. You put together an amazing game against the lions and, and the crowning achievement to this point is beating the defending champs in Sunday night football. It's been so exciting to watch these guys grow. It's a little less surprising why the Rams are in the same position. What happened after that loss to Green Bay at Lambeau Field was that they took their bye week. Matthew Stafford returned to the lineup right after that, and they haven't lost since. Three straight wins of their own, back at 500. Back in the wild card race, Sunday was their best win yet. Stafford threw for three touchdowns. Rams hung 36 on the mighty Cleveland defense. It was highlighted by our guy, the rookie, Puka Nakua, first Rams rookie to ever break 1,000 yards in a season. Still five games left to play, by the way. Prompted me to ask Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez, what makes this young guy so valuable to this Rams offense? Well, one thing about Puka Nakua is he can help you in so many ways, whether as a pass catcher or as a runner, Mark. Absolutely. He caught a couple uh, passes today, obviously, and took him down the pipe against cover two, one-on-one against the backer. So he's got the speed to hit you downfield, but then around the edge on some of those fly sweeps. And then more importantly, I mean, this guy, you can't measure his heart, his willpower, the fact he's just unrelenting out there, man. He does not quit. you got to drag this guy off the field, and he still might come back out. I'm just so impressed with his demeanor as a young player. I mean, this is a guy that the vets have already identified as, yeah, he's kind of one of us already. He's our team leader. That's really impressive for a young guy. Fastest Rams rookie, over 1,000 yards receiving, and he, along with the rest of this Rams team, very young team, are in playoff contention with a month to go. And a lot of these guys, other than maybe Stafford and Aaron Donald, you know, they haven't tasted this for over a year. So this is a, a roster that's turned over quite a bit from that Super Bowl run they had. Now now what? Now they're kind of looking around for direction. They found a run game. Matthew Stafford with him at the helm and that healthy thumb. They're always going to have a chance. The defense steps up at the end of this game. These guys might be a problem for some teams looking to make the playoffs. Three straight wins for Los Angeles now at 500 on the year. Even with this many games still to play, I feel very confident saying the runner-up of the NFC East, whether it's Dallas or Philadelphia, is looking like a near lock to be the NFC's number five seed. But all of a sudden, there is a lot of competition for those last two wildcard spots. We should be fair to Minnesota. If the season ended today, they're in. Vikings are currently the sixth seed. Packers right behind them at the seven. But it's starting to look awfully crowded. Whether you want to talk about the Rams, the Seahawks are still sitting right there. Falcons lead the NFC South at six and six, but even their division rivals, the Saints and the Bucks, are hanging back just a game behind at five and seven. There are a lot of teams that could be in play for these final two spots. But what I didn't expect as recently as a month ago was that the Packers and Rams 
would look the most formidable of all of them, whether it's because Jordan Love is growing into a franchise guy or Matthew Stafford is reminding me that he's still a franchise guy. This last month should be incredibly entertaining for these wildcard spots. And to bring out the best sound of the weekend, maybe it could be as close of a margin as your backside deciding who eventually gets into a wildcard spot. Percent his career. Prior to the receiver's leg hitting out of bounds, his butt cheek hit inbound. <laughs> As a result, it's a catch. Let him know, Hussey. And a first down. Let's go. Okay. If you had if you had butt cheek on your bingo card for the NFL on Fox today, congratulations. Los wow. Angeles will be charged a timeout. Dean was scared. John Hussey was not scared. <laughs> He'll say it. If you're asking yourself whether me and my producers were just looking for an excuse to put butt cheek into the show, it's exactly what we were doing. You're welcome. To round out the Sunday six for week 13, I want to focus on a player more so than a game. Dolphins crushed the commanders 45 to 15 up at FedEx field to improve to nine and three for the first time since 2001. But the game itself doesn't really do much for me. Washington is circling the drain. Commanders have lost four straight. They've been outscored by 80 points. So I don't know how much we've learned about the Dolphins watching them kick the commanders around for three hours. But let's focus on Tyreek Hill, whose chase for 2,000 receiving yards got a big boost when he went for 157 and two touchdowns. It's his first multi-touchdown game since the season opener. He was balling. To break it down, I'm joined now by the guys who called the game, my buddies Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth, to talk about the way Tyreek Hill changes the math for defenses trying to deal with him. Tyreek Hill, I mean, how how does he change the math? How how do defenses account for this guy and this very obvious game-breaking ability? Yeah, I mean, every coach that you're going to talk to, every defensive coordinator or head coach that you talk to before a Miami game, first thing in the scouting report is number 10, right? He's line item number one. Yep. And the initial thought, and I'm, I'm the layman here, is, well, you got to back off, right? But it feels like they can take advantage of whatever defensive shell that, sure. that, you, that you get. Well, right you, you back off, you just hit him in a window inside and just let him outrun people. I mean, that's exactly who he is. And it's, it's one of those things where I've talked to probably seven or eight different defensive coordinators who have told me the same thing. Hey, he's really fast on film, but on the football field, He's the fastest football player I've ever seen. And so it just is one of those deals where you try to get into the windows where the Miami Dolphins are trying to throw it, deny him the football that way, and then see if you can pressure Tua. If you can't do that, then eventually he's going to get you because that speed is just unmatched. Yeah, Dave, it just feels like you were talking about the math of it, right? The, the math that we, we were talking about today was the time, the, the time in the pocket. This is one of the fastest offenses in the NFL, not just the speed that Mark was talking about, but how quickly they get the ball out. Now, obviously, the speed on the outside helps that, but it really does feel like it's it's got to be impacting Tua because the, the, the games that Miami's lost this year, Tua was impacted. It was Buffalo, sure. Philadelphia, Kansas City. They got after Tua. They sacked him. They affected the throws, and that's how you limit him because Tyree Kill one-on-one, even one-on-two is about as dangerous of a player as I think we've seen in this century. And with Tua having time to get the ball out, look, 157 yards against Washington. He's sitting just shy of 1,500 yards. If, if we can assume that he's going to keep this up and have a shot at 2,000, do you think Tyreek is, I mean, are, when we talk about him as a potential MVP, how legitimate do you think that is? 
I, I would say it's pretty legit. Sure. Right? Sure. I don't think there's any question. I mean, when you think about guys, I mean, it'll be the first time in the history of the National Football League that a receiver has gotten 2,000 yards sure. if he's able to do that. So you've got to put him in that equation, in that conversation. And listen, it doesn't matter what you try to do to take him away. And it's one of the priorities that every defensive coordinator has going into the Miami when they play Miami. And guess what? Every weekend he walks away with 100 plus yards. Sure. So, you know, everybody's trying to eliminate him from the game plan and nobody truly has been able to do it. Eight times now that he's had 100 plus yards and actually tied a Miami record that's been sitting for you know about 35, 36 years now. Mark Duper in 1986. And the number that you're talking about, 2000, never been touched. The record, obviously, Calvin Johnson did it in 16 games, granted but did it in 2012, and he was talked about it that year working with Matthew sure. Stafford as a potential MVP. So I don't see why Tyreek Hill can't be in that conversation this year. The Miami Dolphins put up a ton of yards and a ton of points. What else is new? Guys, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Dave. Pleasure. Hill's big day in Washington puts him just shy of 1,500 yards on the season. Now, I was no math major, but I think I figured out he needs to average about 104 yards the rest of the way to become the NFL's first ever 2,000-yard receiver. Now, I don't know if that's good enough to get him NFL MVP, but if he does it against what's coming up for the Dolphins, he's going to deserve to be in the conversation at the very least. On the horizon for Miami, they got another game against the Jets secondary. They got the Cowboys. They got a road game against the Ravens, three of the very best defenses in the NFL this season. If he can beat them the way that he has consistently beaten coverage all season long, not only will he get his 2,000 yards, he will very deservedly be on the short list, maybe the only non-quarterback in play for NFL MVP. 2,000 yards. I know there's an extra game on the schedule these days. Still can't stress enough how impressive that is. And just for the record, I did look this up. Calvin Johnson, currently the NFL's leading receiver for a single season. He had 1,964 back in 2012. Again, did not major in math, but that comes out to an average of about 122.7 yards per game. Tyreek currently averaging 123.4 per game. So by the, by the thinnest of margins, averaging more yards. So yes, he gets the extra game, but what he's doing, still plenty impressive, even with the difference in the schedule. I can't wait to see how he does this. Another couple of days like he had against Washington. I think it's entirely possible. We'll see. All right, that does it for the Sunday Six, but definitely not for the show. Up next, another episode of Ask Glazer with who else but Jay Glazer. Had a chance to talk to Jay about Aaron Rodgers resuming practice, about the head coaching vacancy in Carolina, and plenty more. Check that out here. What's going on with it? You guys we're, like we're, we're putting in like a loan spruce, and get a whole new mortgage over there? Sprucing up the place a little sprucing bit, up. man. Got the desk. Well, I like we're, it. We're, we're legit. Like it. Back from New York. How are how are your travels? My travels were great, man. Being in New York and the fact that I got to light up That's the incredible. Empire State Building with Jimmy and Kurt was like, that's a bucket list. Bucket list. Well, we're we're glad you're back. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. We're glad are you're you back. Are you really glad I'm back? Yes, of course. Are you saying you're glad? No, it's it's nice to, you know. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, we, I don't know, with your new cool digs, maybe you just, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you really don't want anybody here because it's pretty damn cool. I gotta be honest. No, with it you. looks better with a guest. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Got a question from John. Who, who else will we be talking about? And watching Jets football recently, I understand the Ooh. question. John wants to know: Did Aaron Rodgers really practice this week? Yeah, 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 twice. But it wasn't a full practice. They they have something at the end 
called flight school, I think is what I called it. Um, and by the way, I said it on the air earlier today, now I can't remember what I said, but I think it's called flight school, um, where basically they take practice squad guys and guys that are kind of lower tier of the roster, and they actually put them in, in game situations. You know, everybody has to be ready. So they had Aaron work those, and they just said he looked, he did, he looked fantastic now that's kind of like Warren seven on seven it's not like anyone's coming after him trying to sack him right. so he still has to prove that he get himself out of harm's way do you see him i mean i i hear you i do think you, it depends what it, 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 huh? i know the question yeah. <laughs> you I see him the question it depends what day it is you know like at first i was told well they got to be in the playoffs then i was told no i think Aaron wants to prove they can come back no matter what then i was told no it's going to be in the playoffs then aaron said it's going to be in the playoffs but even when you talk to people inside the Jets, they're like, eh, we don't know. It's day by day. But I, but I also, I will say this to Aaron's credit. Like, emotionally, there's a lot. When you're trying to come back from an injury, it, it does affect you a lot here. And um, it, it kind of takes you through this gamut of emotions when you are trying to come back from something that, like rehab, dude, there's nothing lonelier oh, yeah. than rehab. It's so, it's painful because you got to push yourself, but it's lonely. And you don't have a whole team around you doing stuff. And it really is a a, a different situation. Um, and so I think for that also, a lot of times he's like, no, I, I, no matter what, he's trying to prove something to himself. And I think he has to have certain goals. But at the same time, I think people are going to be like, hey, what, like, let's, like, don't put yourself in harm's way if it's not needed. And I also, yeah, I mean, how the Jets season is going, I'm sure that's going to weigh heavily with the final decision. Another question from a guy who, currently looking for work basically where's Shaq Leonard signing we keep hearing smoke about yeah. the Eagles and Cowboys what do you that's think it, that's the two teams I think from what I understood that's who was trying to that's who he visited that's who he was trying to decide upon and I think he was waiting to see what happened with the Eagles game today yeah to see where he wanted to go but I know both teams also told him you know the role he's going to play and Shaq Leonard's he's he's a was a beloved and is a beloved guy in the Colts organization but I think they want to start getting some young guys in there and want to say hey you know we we don't want to disrespect you by not having you play so and you see teams you know give guys almost their freedom right to go play with a winner i i love the idea that shaq leonard's like well, let's see what these standings yeah, yeah. look like on monday morning all right a team that's not playing the chicago bears <clears throat> i love this question just because typically we get questions about like you know what does justin fields need to show this one's just cutting straight to the point who will be the bears quarterback next season i still think they're in evaluation mode of justin fields I, I, that's what i think um it certainly does some good things, but then, you know, then you see the other night, just, you know, he, he still does it with his legs, but it's not, you know, there's a lot of questionable calls with, with his arm, Absolutely. right? So I still think they're in evaluation mode of what they want. Now, listen, if if Justin Fields could show I'm the guy, he's it, it changes the whole top of the draft, it completely changes everything. And then they could put pieces in around them. But if they have to use it on a quarterback instead of using it on you know, a receiver or a tackler or something along those lines, it's just completely different. But I think they're in eval mode still. Do you agree? with? And th this is my opinion. It's like this is this is way more about how Justin plays than wins and losses, right? Um, no, I think – but it's both. You got to see – obviously, you want to see the dude win. I but, guess how how well you're playing is irrelevant if it's not translating to some. But it's also like, you know, last year you know he did a lot with his legs. So this year they said, okay, let's see if we could start the season, show off more with his arm. And that, that didn't work, mm. right? So then he started getting his legs more involved, and he started he started doing things like that. Um, but I, I, I can't answer the question for you if he's their guy. I don't think the Bears can answer the question yet. 
Let's stick with the if same. If they can't answer it, I can't answer it. Sticking with the same topic, what do you think the Giants do at quarterback? Obviously, it doesn't look like you can get away get, from they it. They have to get somebody because field. Daniel's not going to be back to the start of the season. Right. But also the way his contract is laid out, they can't move on from after next year. After next season. Yes. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it's completely plausible, maybe even likely, that they look at this in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they need somebody in there. He's not going to come back. I mean, it, it, you saw how late he, he got hurt, too. Mm. He's not going to be able to come back anytime the start of the season. So they have to find uh, they have to find somebody who could fill that role. Let's wrap this up. Something that you talked about on Sunday morning. Who's the front runner for the Panthers opening? Um, I know they want to look. They keep saying that they'd like an offensive coach. Um, I think the best offensive coach out there right now for for Tannis is Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions. What I love about Ben Johnson is when teams inquired about him last year, including the Panthers, he said, I'm not ready yet. Mm. Listen, man, I've been doing this for 31 years, and I've had a lot of cats come to me as, hey, what do I do? How do I get, you know, move up and end up becoming a head coach one day? And people jump at the chance when those jobs are given to them. And I only remember one other guy doing this, Brian Schottenheimer, who's now the offensive coordinator for the for the Cowboys. Mm. He was offered a head coaching job years and years ago and said, I'm not ready yet. And they, here we are still. He still hasn't gotten one. So everybody jumps at him. So I love that Ben actually had the wherewithal to say, no, I still need to learn more so I could have long-term success. But, you know, I, I think where teams mess it up, though, is they go in and they say, we need an offensive coach. We need a defensive coach. No, man, get a culture builder. Get a culture builder. Get someone in there who's going to go in there and build your culture. And, you know, you look at these teams who've had winning seasons over and over and over Pittsburgh Steelers defensive coach Mike Tomlin culture John Harbaugh Ravens culture and he was a special teams coach right so you know I think you look at guys and I think more of the culture builders are on defenses this year it's the Dan Quinns and the Lou Anaramos who's the Bengals and um whether he should be ready for some interviews now I mean, like a Jeff Ulbrich who's a young guy who's a defense coordinator for the Jets I know it's hard to kind of show um you know, show anything much from the Jets from base of what's happened with their offense this yeah. year. But I, I do think you this year, more than any other year, you look at it and go, man, where can we find somebody to build our culture? Because it's just not those, there's not a, you know, it used to be, well, let's just take somebody from Sean McVay's staff. Let's just take somebody from Kyle Shanahan's staff. Yeah. Right? You just don't have that anymore. Kyle Shanahan's running out of people it's to, a, to the it's have it's Sean McVay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, same exact thing. So I think this is the year you look for, Guys who are authentic. You look at, look, D'Amico Ryans, authentic. Culture. Dan Campbell, culture, authentic, right? He was a not an offense coordinator, right? He was a tight ends coach. You want authenticity. And, and you know what, too? I think that what people should be looking for now should be changing. What I mean by that is you used to be able to just kind of beat, beat guys down, right? And that, was, that, that worked for a long time. Well, guys are beating down so much now on this, on, on on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that. They don't want to get beaten down by their father figure now. They need to be loved up. They need authenticity. Mike McDaniel, right? Look look what those guys do. And I think that's where you need a shift now of I don't need an offensive guy or a defensive guy. I need somebody in here who's going to build a winning culture for a long time. It's going to be one thing I'll say for the Panthers. They're going to have a lot of time to evaluate because so many of these yeah. guys are going to make playoff runs. But they also look, they don't have first round pick, right? So yeah. the, it's even that. And you have to look at it and say, 
you know, a coach has to look at it and believe in Bryce Young also. And I will say this. I know everybody's saying right now, oh, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young. Man, I, didn't, I, I didn't speak to a single team who had C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young, including the Texans. Um, so hindsight is obviously 2020. Um, but if you look at it and go, man, I, I really like Bryce Young. I could build around Bryce Young. There'll be a lot of coaches who'll still say, I got it. I'll do it. And I've talked to coaches who'll say, man, I know I could turn that place around. That's a certain ego you have to have also. Of course. As a guy who you know, wants, wants that spot. Can't wait to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, Panthers will have a long time to think about it, I'm sure. Can't wait to see what they ultimately decide. Jay, as always. Appreciate you, brother. Great talking to you. Great and to have you back in the studio. Congratulations about the that, whole right? upgrade. This whole fixer-upper. We're I coming like it. up in the world. <laughs> Thanks to Jay. Catch y'all next time. That just about does it for the show, but not before we get to one last bit of business. That would be what we're calling the Fox Fact. Every week coming out of Sunday's games, we're going to hit you with a fun nugget cool piece of information, a good statistic from what happened on Sunday for week 13. Let's put the focus in Foxborough where the new England Patriots fall six to nothing to the LA chargers specifically. Let's focus. Well, let's focus on the new England defense and maybe put some blame where it belongs. That would be the Patriots offense. Sunday was the third time in a row. New England has given up 10 or fewer points in a game and managed to lose. They are the first team to do that since the Cardinals. When they were in Chicago, that would be the 1938 Chicago Cardinals. Patriots, specifically your offense. My goodness, please get it together. The defense is more than doing its share. 1938 Chicago Cardinals. What a stat. That wraps it up for our show. Week 13, mostly in the books, not quite. Got one more game left, Monday Night Football, Jaguars, Bengals. We will be back on Tuesday to wrap that up. We'll have all the news and notes from around the league. We'll have our power rankings. You know the drill. Plenty to get to. Always something to handle. We will see you all on Tuesday. Until then, please make sure you find us on Spotify. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel. If I haven't mentioned it before, I know I have. Please go subscribe. Tell your mom. Tell, tell a friend. Tell somebody. We appreciate it. We will be back Tuesday. I will catch y'all next time.